Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about stewardship. We've talked about stewardship of self, of family, of community, and position. And the definition of stewardship is the managing of something that does not belong to you. And what we've recognized in stewardship is that our lives are not our own. Our talents, our abilities, our skill sets, none of these things are our own. In fact, everything that we have in our lives, uh, we have because we've been equipped by God for his purposes for our lives. And when we misunderstand that and get that wrong, our lives take a different course than what God had originally intended them to take. Everything that we have has been intended to be used to glorify his name and not our own and to build his kingdom and not our own kingdoms. In each of these areas of life that we've talked about in stewardship of self and family and community and position, we all have differences. There's not too many of us that have the identical lives. Um, some of us may have similar jobs or similar skills, but we are different in our abilities. We are different in our talents. I think that can be seen by what's just on this platform. And I love that because what's on this platform took a whole group of people to come together, each doing different things to put this together. But we're different in our skills, our abilities, and our talents. We're different in our backgrounds. We're different in our levels of education, in our jobs, our titles, our positions. We have different levels of influence, different circles of influence. We have different career paths. We all make different amounts of money. And each one of those areas has been specially gifted and given to us to use for him. And although we're so unique in these different areas of stewardship, there is one area, despite what some might say, in each of our lives that we all have in common. In fact, it's one of the most sensitive commodities that we have, and how we use it is absolutely critical in carrying out our purpose in this world. Harvey McKay writes this about it, that it's free to each of us, but it's priceless. You can't own it, but you certainly do spend it. You can't keep it, but you can use it. And once you've lost it, you can never get it back. What am I talking about this morning? Time. We're talking about time. Our time, your time, my time, is the most precious commodity that we have. Yet everyone demands a piece of it. Seems like 24 hours in a day is just not long enough. Yet it is the time in each day that God has allotted to each one of us, and therefore it is enough in each of our days to accomplish what he has called us to accomplish within that period of time. The world is constantly trying to take it from us. And once it's gone, it's gone. So what do you do? How do you manage, honestly, the most critical area of your life? How do you respond to the demands placed on your time? Open your Bibles to Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is the oldest psalm authored by Moses. And in this psalm, Moses contrasts God's eternal nature with the frailty of his own, with the frailty of people. And so read this with me this morning 
as we dig into this. Psalm 90, starting at verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is, you, that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. For as many years as we have seen trouble, may your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This psalm is both a meditation and a prayer. And the prayer of Moses flows out of his meditation. His meditation of God's greatness and the fact that God is eternal. He says in verse 2, before the mountains were born, I can just imagine Moses reflecting and meditating on this. Man, before the mountains were born, you brought forth the whole world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He's saying, man, from the very beginning of time, before time was ever begun, you are God. You have been there from everlasting to everlasting. You know no end. You have no beginning. You have no end. You are there forever. And then slowly as he meditates on everlasting, because it's really hard for us to, 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 to grasp that in our minds. I know as a kid for a long time, I was like, how could God always just be there? Where is there? And all these things. And, and, uh, and so you'd wrestle with these things. And you can almost hear Moses wrestling with this, saying, man, from everlasting, before the world was born, you are there eternal. And then he, he actually takes this everlasting to everlasting and begins to, to put our understanding of time into it because God's not bound by time, is he? God is not bound by time. God is not like us. But you begin to see as Moses transitions this, this, this wrestling from everlasting to everlasting, and he begins to put time frames that we are subjected to. And he says this in verse 4, a thousand years, years, we count years. Years limit us. They don't limit God. But he suddenly says as he kind of goes from God and this eternal being to us, a thousand years in your sight. In our sight, a thousand years is like eternal. Anyone over a hundred in here? No. That's like over ten lifetimes. And he says a thousand years, what is so long for us, which is unimaginable for us in the way we look at time. A thousand years in your sight is like a day for us. He brings this picture of eternity into the, oh, his own mind. And as we read this, we can kind of gather what he's saying. He's saying, man, for you, a thousand years is, is what it is for us, a day. Man, we can waste a day. How many of you have ever wasted a day? 
Just three of you. Okay, the rest of you, man, get up here and preach this message because I've wasted a day, all right? You ever had those days where you just feel like, man, I just can't do anything? Maybe it's a Saturday, maybe whatever, and you just, you waste a day. And what he's saying is, man, a thousand years. It's like a day to us. Like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. So Moses contrasts eternity, the eternity of God. And in doing so, and in thinking about this, recognizes the frailty of himself. And not just himself, but of mankind. He goes on in verse 9, all our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. All of a sudden, here's this picture, this eternal God and the frailty of who I am. I only have 70 to 80 years. And if you're right there, 70 or 80, I'm sure you've got 150 years, so don't get upset with me. But 70 or 80 years of my life, man, that's nothing for God. He talks about the flowers. I don't know. I mean, I cut my grass, not probably as often as I should, but I cut my grass and, 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 and you know, just think about this. You'll see flowers pop up in your grass, weeds, dandelions pop up in your well-manicured glass. And, and, and they're there today and they're gone the next day and you don't think anything of them, right? And he's saying this is like our lives in the span of what God is doing, in the span of God's kingdom and his purposes for the world and where he's taking it. He, he says, listen, in this big world that I've, that I've created, you are a character in my world, You are a character in my play, if you will. You have a portion of of, of, of the show, of the movie that I have created where you show up for it. You're not the main star. You're not the main character. No, you have a supporting role in what he is doing. And you're there for a moment in the span of God's eternal being. You're there for a moment. And that's it. And that's what you've got. You've got a moment in the span of eternity. When you think of it that way, your time becomes a little bit more precious, doesn't it? What you do with that moment in the span of eternity matters. It matters. It's in this meditation of Moses as he contemplates the eternal life and the eternity of God and in that recognizes the frailty of his own life that it goes from a meditation into a prayer. And all of a sudden he recognizes in a moment, man, I want my moment to count. I want my moment to matter. I want my moment to matter not because I'm here. I want my moment to matter eternally. I want my moment in this play that God has me in in this world to have eternal significance, not temporary significance, not significance for the moment that I occupy this slab of ground, but I want my life to matter eternally. And as Moses begins to see this, it goes from meditation into a prayer. So Moses prays, God, teach me to number my days. Teach me to number my days, that I might gain a heart of wisdom. 
He wants his life to count. How many of you want your life to count? How many of you understand that where it counts is important? Are you working hard to make your life count within your circle or within your own kingdom? Or are you, uh, are you working hard to make your life count with eternal significance? Too many of us are short-sighted. We can't get out of the present. We can't get out of the moment. And we're trying to make our lives count for the moment. And we're neglecting the eternal significance that our lives are supposed to have. And so we waste our time in the moment. And we lose our significant purposes for the kingdom. If we focus on the moment, we could be losing out on the impact that God wants our life to have. There's a great song by Tim McGraw. In fact, with, my, uh, with Lori and Michael out yesterday, uh, we were driving and it came on the radio and Michael was singing it at the top of his lungs. It's a song that probably some of you know well, and as I was prepping this message, it just came right to my mind. It's called Live Like You Were Dying by Tim McGraw. For those who don't know what the song is about, it's it's about a man in his early 40s that gets news that he has life-threatening cancer. And in the song, he's being asked, hey, how do you respond when you get that kind of news. And I love the lyrics to this, and so I'm just going to read some of the responses that are captured in this song. Here's this man that suddenly realizes, my days are numbered. My days are numbered, and what I do now in the limited days that I have left matters. And what's interesting here is that this man in this song changes his life. Because all of a sudden, he was numbering his days. He says, I I loved deeper than I'd ever loved before. Not only did I love deeper, but I also, I spoke sweeter. I treated people differently. He says, I gave forgiveness to those that I had not wanted to forgive. That I wanted to hold on to. I was finally the husband that most of the time that I wasn't. He said, I became a friend and the kind of friend that a friend would like to have. He goes on to say, all of a sudden, going fishing wasn't as important. What he's saying is all of my hobbies and all of the little things I did for my self-enjoyment became less important to me when I numbered my days. He said, in fact, I even lost how many times I actually went fishing that year. If I went three times, I'd be surprised. Obviously, fishing for this man had been a big hobby of his. He said, I took a good hard look at what I would do if I could do it all again. So many times when people are on their deathbeds, they look back in life. And they try and pass wisdom onto those who are there, saying, hey, listen, life is short. How many times do we hear that? And how many times do we fluff it off? Like, yeah, 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 it's short. I get it. And they look at you and go, no, you don't get it. Life is short. I'm at that point now where Courtney, for those of you, just got engaged. We're excited for her and Mac. And, uh, you know, when I was 19, 19 wasn't young. When your daughter's 19, 19 is young. (laughs) But, you know, we're excited. We're praying for them and... um, and, and we're excited for what God wants to do. And so, um, but I say that just to say, you know, 
I remember when people said, hey, listen, treasure your kids. They grow up fast. And when they're young and they're running around and they're screaming as toddlers, you're like, not fast enough, right? Then they get to different stages in their lives. And before you long, you realize it and they go, no, they grow up fast. One of the grateful things that in my life that I felt like God did with me is he taught me to number the days of my children. That sounds terrible. Number the days of my children. But number the days of my children's life with us. You know what I mean? But I started thinking, hey, listen, at 18, I could lose. And the truth is you lose your kids before 18. You have a limited time of influence. And about 13, 14, they begin to think and realize that they know far more than you'll ever know. It's interesting how that happens. So, so God began to just lay on my heart, spend time, focus on them. Your family matters. We couldn't afford a whole lot of vacations, but we made it a priority for us to go, no, we have got, Lori was great. We have to, got to create some memories here. I can't let this get away because there'll be a time where maybe we can afford it, but we won't have them. And then where does that leave us? And so time matters. And when you, when you start thinking backwards like that and go, man, okay, if my kid's 13, I got four years, maybe five years. If your kid's 15, you go, man, I got two to three years, maybe. You don't know. Man, it changes how you act. Anyway, the song says that I took a good, hard, long look at what I do and, and, and what I would do if I could do it all over again. I know there are things in my life that I would do differently, looking back even now. And the song's chorus goes, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. In the end, this man recognizes how important this has been in his life. He says basically, man, this has changed my life, and I hope you get the same opportunity. Sometimes you look at a, a, a diagnosis where they say, hey, look, you've got 12 months to live. And we're like, oh, man, this is horrible. And I'm not saying it's filled with joy. But I will say this. If you have 12 months, you have 12 months to make things right. You have 12 months to make things, to, to love on those and to change some things, to think about some things that a lot of people never get. And so in many ways, it can be a blessing to you and those around you. Because what? would change. Let me ask you that right now. What would change in your life right now if all of a sudden everyone in this room had 12 months to live? I'm willing to bet that every single life, including my own, would change very quickly in this room. Our priorities would change. Where we spent our time would change. Everything would change in our lives. This is what Moses is saying. Moses is saying, man, I am here today and gone tomorrow. What he is saying, man, God, help me to live like I'm dying. Help me to number my days. Help me to grasp the limited time that I have, that I might gain wisdom. It's interesting that you gain wisdom when all of a sudden you realize you're dying. Why does it take that? Is it that we can't recognize that before? Or is that that we don't want to recognize it before? Is it that we don't know the truth of where we need to spend our time? Or is it that we don't have time to spend our time that way? Because what it tells me is that, man, if we knew that we were dying in 12 months and our lives would change, what that means is we know what our priorities are, but we're choosing not to do them. For whatever reason it may be, we're caught in the moment of life. See, man's problem is that we tend to live in the moment. And in doing so, we lose focus on the end. Or we falsely believe that later on in life, we'll have time for the things that we're not doing now, which never happens. Living for the moment 
living for the moment. It can look like chasing one's ego. It's pride. Not understanding your role in life. Not understanding your position with God. And thinking for some reason that your whole position for existence is, and the reason for existence is for what happens now, right here. And how well you look to other people and how successful you appear whether you have the right promotions, the right title, the right education, and all of these things. And the truth is, it's really, it's really about pride. It's about your own ego. And it gets in the way of what God wants to do. That's living in the moment. That's saying that I can't see beyond the light right here. I can't see far off. None of us live this way, right? Like when we think about our lives here, we'll plan for the end of our lives. We'll try and plan for retirement. We'll try and plan for other things, but we don't plan for eternity. And the result of that is we're living so short-sighted and we're still living in the moment and we're missing out on what God has. Living in the moment looks like never being satisfied with where you are. I make $70,000 this year, next year, if I work a little bit harder, spend a little bit more time at the office, maybe I can get to 90. It's chasing power. It's chasing praise, prestige, position, possessions, security. A lot of it's done for security. We don't trust God with that. I need to provide myself a secure place for later on. I need to make sure that I'm, that I'm comfortable. It's all squared away, and so I'm taking care. And we can find scriptures that back us to say, okay, but we can also neglect a whole lot of scriptures that counter that. Some get caught up with just honestly just trying to please other people rather than God. That's what happens in church. I'll be honest, that's what happens in my life. This feeling that somehow you've got to be there for every single person. And that as a shepherd, that this is your responsibility. And then you run after that, and the first few years of doing that here wore me out. Just wore me out, and I got to the point where I said, you know what, I just realized... Man, that's not what God's called me to do. God hasn't placed me here to be God to everybody. And if you do that, you act like you are. And people come to you instead of God. And I'm not God. Trust me, you want God. Not this guy. No one wants to be playing God with your lives. Well, give this a shot. Ooh, that didn't work. God is much better. But... But what is that really about? That's probably more about pride. Man, I've got to be a good pastor. I've got to be here. I've got to, I've got to be there for everyone. I've got to run to everyone's need. Man, I want them to be able to say, man, I was having a tough time, but my pastor was with me all the way. I could stand up and go, oh, I don't sleep. I don't spend time with my wife or my family or my kids, but I'm glad. Guys, that's, that's poor stewardship. That's actually making it more about my pride and my desire. What they should be saying is, man, in my toughest time, let me tell you about who God was and how God was with me. Because all I can do is point to God. But if I get that mixed up, and I justify it by saying it's Christian, and being there, I'm missing it. See, I can use Scripture to justify my lack of stewardship as well. Just can. I think we all can. But the truth is, if we step back and look at it and go, is it really that? Or is it pride? Is it really that I want to preach good sermons, or is it that I want to have lots of numbers in church? Do I really want to have lots of numbers in church because I want people to get saved, or because I want to look good? And when I get around my peers, they go, how many people are you running? Oh, this is what we're running. Oh, wow, it's impressive. 
How do you do it? Ah, it's a lot of hard work. It all makes me look good, right? It's a lot of hard work. You got to put in the hours. You got to be there for people. You got to touch people's lives. They got to know. Come on, guys. I get so sick and tired of the game. See, we play it too. We do. You play it. We all play it. We're going to stop playing this stupid game because that's what it is. It's a game. If we don't realize what really matters, we're missing it. I don't want to spend my life. I like to go, I used to like to go full wheeling in my truck until I realized the mud you put on your truck, you have to wash off your truck. It gets old. But you get in a rut and you'd gas your, 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 your vehicle and the tire would just spin. And the engine's revving and you're using gas and you could burn out your engine. And the tire's spinning faster and faster. So you're just not going anywhere. I don't want to live like that. Do you? When we lose focus on what God is really calling us to do, that's what our lives look like. And we throw mud everywhere. Going nowhere. And so I love what Moses says. Moses says, man, God, in the span of everything, you are eternal. And, and my life is really, honestly, insignificant to you. Yeah, you choose to give me a role, a supporting role in this, in this life, in this world. God, help me to value that role. Help me to number the days so that I understand how valuable each time each second, each minute, each day is that I might gain wisdom for eternal purposes, not temporary. Of course, this is where Satan can step in as well. He doesn't care if you go to church. He doesn't care what you say about God. He can get your time. And we can spend life saying, you know what, man, it's just my problem is I don't have time. Listen, God gave you 24 hours because he knows that's all you need in a day. There are things we need to say no to. And those things look like our pride. They look like our egos. They look like our own, you know what, it's flesh. It's what it is. And in and, 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 and Romans, it talks about don't run after the things of the flesh. And we always think, oh, it's sexual immorality. Well, it certainly is. Oh, it's greed. It's all. Yeah, it certainly is. It's pride. Why do you do what you do? I'd like to challenge you to, 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 to you know, a lot of times we, we talk about budgets, and I believe in budgets, and that's important. But, but when's the last time you made a budget of your time? Maybe we should go home and, and, and budget out our time and, and, and put 24 hours and go, okay, this is sleep, and then this is work, and then this is, and just begin to identify where your time is going, and then next to each segment of time that you identify, write down what the eternal purposes achieved were for that moment. So a lot of you go, well... Where are the eternal purposes achieved in my sleep? Where are the eternal purposes achieved by me sitting in a beach chair by the beach? Are you saying that I can? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is those times are critical for you as well. It's why God created a Sabbath. Sabbath does not negate from eternal purposes. It actually makes you more effective. And if you aren't having a Sabbath, you're being less effective in what God wants you to do. If you aren't spending time with your family, with your husband, with your wife, you are being a poor steward of your time. If you are not spending time with your children, God wants you. We are, guys, in this world we're living in today, man, we don't have relationship anymore. I'm talking about me with you guys. It's one of my biggest frustrations. No one has time. Jesus saved the world in three years. How many of you guys know Jesus said no to people? Not because he came up and said, no, I'm not going to heal you. But when he constantly was, what, 
pulling away. How many times do you read in Scripture? They come, people are tracking him down. He's like, he had to get away to rest. And, and people would chase him to the other side and meet him there. And he had compassion. How many of you know that there were, for all the people that Jesus healed, there were many thousands that he did not heal? You don't read it in Scripture where they go, and then Jesus walked by and didn't heal these people. But what you do hear are two blind men that get up and come running after him. What does that mean? That he passed them by. Do you know why? Was it because he didn't care? Was it because he was guilty of no compassion or not love? No, none of that. He gave his life for the world. But what he was focused on was, what does God the Father want me to do in this moment? And if the Holy Spirit didn't lead him to that, he kept going. We have to learn to say no. There are so many good and great things things that you can be doing and most of them God has not called you to do and if you start doing them when God hasn't called you to do it is it about him or is it about you some of us have to be busy because it's about fulfilling some emptiness or some need or some lack of insecurity in our own lives. It's got nothing to do with what we claim it's got to do with. Well, it's about this and I need income and I need this and there's so much. No, honestly, the truth is step back. You're injured and you're wounded and somehow you get self-fulfillment by chasing these things. This is about you, not about the other things. And what you need is healing from God and then quit chasing this thing like it's a high. And I'm serious. We can use work, anything that we chase to fill ourselves up emotionally, to get some kind of high to satisfy ourselves, is an addiction. And it's not from God. It's not just alcohol. It's not just drugs. It's the things that make us feel full, complete. God is your source of completeness and fulfillment, not anything else. And if anything else is giving you that and you're chasing it, it's an idol in your life. No matter how you try and justify it, it's an idol Because it's actually robbing God from his rightful place and you're spending time chasing these things rather than moving in obedience to him. And ministers do it all the time. The enemy is always competing for your time. Look at him, he's right there. If he can rob you of your time, He can rob you of your influence. Why is divorce so high in the church? I mean, why? We're supposed to be light and darkness, and the divorce rate in the church is just as high as it is in the world. It's not light. It's no different. If he can rob you of your influence... If he can rob you of your time, he can rob you of your influence for the kingdom of God. If he can rob you of your time, he can rob you of your influence with your spouse and of your children. Guys, it's not just quantity of time. It's quality of time. It's not, hey, the hours I spent sitting at home and my family was in the same room or close by. It's what did I do with them? God's called you to your family, guys. Some of the saddest things I see is people chasing finances. I understand, guys, I'm not saying this is easy at all. You're chasing finances to provide for your family, but you're losing your family in the process. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? This is what happens in the world. The fact is there will always be more to do than we can ever accomplish. We just need to understand that. There will always be more to do than we can ever accomplish. Whether you were talking about needs, and I mean needs, work, leisure, or wants, there will always be more. The question is, what is God calling you to do? And if you don't have time to spend with God, you will never know what he's calling you to do. See how this just begins to chase itself? If you don't spend time with God, And you'll never understand what it is he's calling you to do. And so you will spend your life jumping into good Christian things to fulfill some sense of obligation, but not really accomplishing your eternal purposes. 
Isn't it interesting why these guys say, but Jesus, I did this in your name, and I did that in your name, and I did this. He said, I didn't know you. What that says is, and he's not interested in performance. We're so performance-related, right? We're so performance-related. Like, okay, what is this achieving, you know, here? And, 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 but God says, man, I want time. I want time. There's a passage in, in Mark where, where the disciples come back from, from being sent out, and they, and they go to Jesus. I think it's Mark chapter 6. And, and, and they say, Jesus, and they start telling about everything they had done. Everything, like, I mean, you almost see it, man, this is what we did in your name and all, all of this. And it says, it's interesting, it says in there, um, yet they had no time to eat because people were constantly coming and going. Right? It's, a, it's a part of Scripture we'll just read over like, oh, whatever, it's insignificant. And in that portion, Jesus, this is said, they had no time to eat. So Jesus says to them, not great job, he said, come with me. So you can rest. It wasn't about that of boys and listen, there's still more people. What are you doing? Get back out there. You can sleep when you die. It wasn't any of that. It was come with me so you can rest. He cares about your rest. He cares about your time. He cares about your family. And those are the areas that we can neglect the most. The need, the desires, the wants do not constitute the call. They don't determine the call. The call is directed by the Holy Spirit. That means you can be surrounded by needs around you. It doesn't mean that God's called you to those particular needs. When you seek after God, he'll identify one of the challenges we have in churches, and I, I tell this to the staff, I tell this to the board, is, is that sometimes there are so many, I feel like I'm in a batting cage, and I got a bat, and there are six baseballs coming at me at one time. And they're all important. And so we try and swing at all of them, and we hit none of them well. I foul this one, I chip this one, I do this one, and you go, man, this is insane, the level of things that come at you while you're trying to hit all of them. But the thought of as you see them all coming is, man, if I drop this one, I'm hurting this person. If I drop this, then I'm neglecting this ministry or this need. And they all come. Sometimes you say, listen, I need to slow down and say, God, which one do you want me to hit? Because I'd rather hit one well than hit six poorly. All of our lives are like that. I want to close with this, just this question. Is my life going to have eternal value? Can you just ask yourself that? Guys, I don't mean are you serving in church. That doesn't mean eternal value. This is just like, again, remember, but I cast out demons in your name. I prophesied your name. And Jesus said, I never knew you. So it doesn't, this is not am I serving in a church position. This isn't, am I the senior pastor of glad tidings? The question is, is my life currently on the path that I'm on, is it going to have value eternally? It was that very question in my own life that changed its course. It was that very question sitting, and you guys know the story, so I won't go over it a lot, but it was that very question, having a good job, having just bought a house, and looking at another position in ministry with a guy making half the money I was making, and I looked at his position in youth ministry, and I, and, and I looked at my job, and I'm not negating the purposes of my job, but I, I just, I thought, man, his job matters. If I don't do my job, someone else will come in and do my job. But his job matters. And it was that where I was saying, God, I want my life to matter. I want my life to have eternal significance. Not, not, not just for the people that I minister to, but in my, in my wife's life, in my children's life. I want my life to count. Does your life have eternal significance? 
Because let me tell you, you were born to have eternal significance. You are on this world, in this world right now. You have a supporting role right now. Some of you have made a mistake and you think you're the main character. Some of you think you're the main character and Jesus has a supporting role in your life. That where the cracks exist and the holes exist in your life, Jesus comes in like peanut butter and just fills them for you and makes it smooth. Guys, it's true. It's true. Some of you are missing it. It, Can I tell you, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart, and I name names. In my mind, I look around, and I see people, and go, this person's missing it. I can see it. Their life's about them. They have so much potential, but God's a supporting role, and they only need God to show up where they have a hole. I struggle in this area, so God, fill this gap for me so I can be more complete. Guys, that's not what it's about. He is not a supporting character in your play. You are a supporting character in his, and you and I are lucky and honored to even have a role. And in this play of life, in the span of eternity, we show up for seconds. And God says, because I love you, you have an opportunity to do something amazing with the seconds I give you. Don't squander them away on yourself. You're missing your purpose. Don't make this about you. Do you realize that what you do now has eternal consequences? Don't throw it away. You know what? My, I said this to Lori coming in here. I said, you know what scares me about this message? Is I'm going to preach this and most of you will walk out and not get it. And I mean that. Most of you in here will walk out of here and not get it. You'll walk out of here and you'll go, that was nice. I should look at my time and you'll miss it. Guys, I can't be any more clear than this. Some of you are missing this and you're missing it badly. And this message isn't from this guy. It's from God because you were born for something better than what you're giving your life for. Your life is too small for you to die or live for it. Please, I beg you, don't miss this. Don't waste time with God. Don't waste time with your family. Don't throw it away. But man, my prayer is that you'll get with God and you'll look at your life like a budget and go, what am I doing? And what can I cut? And and, and why am I doing this? And who am I trying to please? And, And all of this. And take back the life that Satan's trying to rob you of. Isn't it amazing that God says, you have the supporting role in my play, but man, how you handle it will matter. In fact, if you handle this well, I am waiting for you at the end of your short life to say, well done, well done. Like who gets that in the supporting role? In our movies, you get like a line of, oh, there's my name amongst a million other names. But Jesus is waiting to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You ran your race well. Now here are crowns for you. And here's glory for you. And here's all of this for you because you were a steward with what I gave you. All your abilities and all your talents and all of this, man, it's for this moment. It's for this small, short moment in time where you can have significance eternally What are we doing with it? Would you stand to your feet this morning? I I appreciate I appreciate the clapping, but, but please don't. I mean that. Please don't. I don't want you to clap. I don't want you to clap because some of you will clap and you'll walk out of here and you'll just forget this. This means nothing. My biggest fear is that this message will mean nothing to you very shortly. I don't care if I get claps. I don't care if I get... This is not about that. This is about what are you going to do with this? Like, Will you embrace this or will Satan rob this from you the minute you walk out of these doors? 
And let's be the church. We should look differently. I have too many conversations where people act as if God's word or guidelines or suggestions that are there to be used or, or acted on when it's convenient. And I think that Psalm 139, I, God knits you together. He knits you together and he forms you. You are wonderfully made. Some of you have had children have gone down the wrong paths and you know how it breaks your heart. Some of you are breaking God's heart that way. It doesn't have to be. Like it can end today. But please don't let it go on anymore. I want to pray, and I just want you to respond to God. You respond any way you want to, but please just respond to God. Oh, Jesus, we just come before you, and God, I just, God, I just pray that, that each person in here would, would see their lives the way you see them, Lord God. God, I, I pray, Lord God, that the influence of the enemy, Lord God, would be minimized and, and that we just, God, we bind him in the name of Jesus. God, in each of us here, God, would you teach us to number our days, Lord God? God, would you help us to live as though we're dying? God, God, would you remove the pride? God, for the hurts in people's lives in this place that's driving them, Whichever way it's driving, God, 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 would that come to surface, Lord God, not to destroy them, but they can get healing, Lord Jesus? God, would you set people free in this place? God, I just pray that people, Lord God, would embrace, embrace what you've called them, Lord God. God, God, give them vision, Lord God. Open their eyes. Remove the blindness, Lord Jesus. Help them to see beyond the moment, Lord God, and see into eternity, Lord Jesus. God, and help them to run and run and run the race that you've called them. God, and give them time with their, with their spouses and give them time with their children, Lord God. And give them time to stop and even rest a while, Lord God. God, you know every, every heart. God, you know every challenge. I, I don't claim that this is easy. But God, it's not by our strength or by our might, but it's by your power. I just pray that you would open our hearts to have a true, honest look at our lives. And as you reveal to us where we are, empower us by the Holy Spirit to change. Change doesn't happen overnight, but God, let's just start today. Help me live today the way you want me to live. God, help me to live tomorrow the way you want me to live. That I might honor you, God, with my life. That my life will count eternally for you and bring glory to no other name except the name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.